I'm Amy, sex educator, somatic sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure products company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. Hey, everyone. Hi, everybody. It is episode, oh my goodness, 32, 33, 33. I never know. I, Jesus' I, I should age. stop saying, is there a Jesus year? Jesus, this is your Jesus year, yeah? You're going to be 33. Almost, yeah. Oh. I'm a Pisces. Oh, yeah. yay. <laughs> um, I should probably stop saying that in the beginning of each episode, but um, we are on episode whatever the fuck it is, and we 30s. have another guest speaker, and happy new year, people. We're recording this right after the new year, but you're probably going to be hearing a little later. And so I don't want to forget it's to tell you It's sober January all. for most people, not for me. Yeah, right. I'm entering <laughs> trade show week, so it's going to be called Drunken January. She loves her wine. Oh, yeah. Why not? Why not? P.S. Yeah. If you know anybody that wants to sponsor us with wine, she just we needs, accept cases. She just wants a case. But it has to be decent wine. <laughs> None of that shit. No. <laughs> she wants only the good so stuff. So who's our guest? Amy, tell us about it, which I am so excited to have you on our show because you're amazing and I read... Your book. Well, I listened to it on Audible. I'm a lazy. Do we call that reading? See you next Tuesday. So I have, I have, I have people read your book to me. <laughs> was it in his voice or was it in someone no. no, else? No, no. They wouldn't let me do it. It was really fucked up. They, really? I, they wouldn't I, let you. They, they test your you voice. You have a good like, voice nope, for that too. <laughs> I have a great, yeah. No, they. Uh, I just. I said to them, you know, I've done voice stuff in the past. I'd be happy to read it for free. Yeah. And they're like, no, we've got, we've got professionals. We've got people. <laughs> <laughs> we can hear your voice. We're not feeling you yeah no it was they never heard my voice it was all emails but then they let me do the preface yes uh, just the part where the monkey attack uh monkey attacks my ex-girlfriend and i get all like apey about it <laughs> sounds like a like a joke don't get all apey about it yeah, that, like yeah. A book called sometime. i don't yeah. even remember that story i i remember i read the book yeah. I actually, okay, everyone, should we tell you what we're talking about here? And, and who we have on the show. So yes. we have the Doctor. The book is the Bible. So, yes. And I am God. Yes. Oh, God. So we have God. God is here, and we are talking about the Bible. Um, I don't know which version of it, but uh, so we have Dr. Chris Ryan, who is the author of the book Sex at Dawn, here with us. I actually went on, I uh, did a podcast with him on his show, uh, Tangentially Speaking. It's his podcast, and I highly recommend it recommend it um it is do you do weekly releases yeah at yeah. least sometimes twice a week nice yeah and what are you what would you say is the premise of your show no premise just tangents. <laughs> <laughs> no premise it's just conversations with interesting people yeah uh-huh. uh yeah whatever it ranges from sex workers to comedians to um authors scientists later today i'm going up into the redwoods near here boulder creek to uh, interview uh like super genius dude who works with NASA. I know him, Dr. Chris, D- Bruce Damer. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know I've him. gone up to his place. Oh my yeah. god! How did you just assume that it was that guy? Because he's a he lives in Boulder Creek and he works for NASA. Oh, oh yeah, he's great. I love that man. He's, yeah. he is Dr. Bruce's his fashion. By the way, it's like it's always burning, man, for Ooh. this man. But he is the sweetest human. Yeah. He's brilliant. 
Are you gonna talk to him about aliens? Talk to him about whatever. That's the point. I need, yeah. It's just like just, you find a person you want to hang out with, and uh, you go hang out and record it. That's, oh yeah. That's the oh, premise. Oh, tell him I said hello. I love him. He's such a good, such yeah. a great human, Doctor Bruce. And he lives in this area up in Boulder Creek that is supposedly just filled with a whole bunch of magic. Like everyone yeah. who lives there says that there's just you'll, he'll he'll tell you about it. I'm yeah. sure. It's like magical vortex. So yeah. Going uh, up in like Scarlett Johansson. Scar- oh yeah, probably spend the night up there. Yeah, he had, so yeah. he's driving a van that's named Scarlett Johansson oh, and cute. cruising all over. It's a red van. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. Do you, so you sleep in it? I do, and I try to lure young ladies into it. Yeah, oh. just young ones. That's it. <laughs> hey, for me, young, young is like. What is young considered? Sixty-five and under. <laughs> He's an equal opportunist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then for our, our listeners who maybe have never heard of Sex at Dawn, can you give us a little info on a little summary of that? Uh, Sex at Dawn is is a, a book I co-authored with my wife, uh, Kissel de Jetta, who's a psychiatrist from Mozambique. And uh, basically it's a, a sort of a cross-cultural look at human sexual behavior and um, so it's looking at different cultures, particularly hunter-gatherer cultures, and uh, also we look at primates. And um, what we're trying to elucidate in the book is uh, the way our ancestors behaved sexually before the advent of agriculture. Mm-hmm. So before there were institutions like religion and government and different people telling uh, telling us how we should behave. Mm-hmm. So basically it's sort of looking for what is human sexual nature. Mm-hmm. You know, what's our our innate capacity and uh, and behavior. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what the book is. The the sources of information as I said are anthropology, primatology, um, contemporary psychosexual research. So what sorts of things turn people on? What sorts of uh, issues people go to therapists to, to deal with? What kind of porn is popular? You know, whatever. Um, and then uh, the fourth, and, and for me, the sort of most surprising source of information was um, human anatomy. Mm. The way the the way the design of the body reflects the behavior of our ancestors. So it talks a lot about balls and cocks. I know. And the size, the size from monkey like balls. the silverback, monkey yeah, balls. monkey balls, yeah, uh, which was interesting. I learned a lot. I love the science um, information. Like, there's so mm. much scientific and the, information. Kind of the evolution of well, the evolution, yeah. but also they talk so much about bonobos. Mm. And I, I didn't, I, I don't know a lot about primatology, but I learned a lot in that book. Uh, I've I referenced bonobos before with you on this podcast. Um, we talk about how they're we're so related, and they don't rape each other. They just, because they live in like communal environments. And I don't know, that was something that I've shared with other people too, um, the, how we're so closely related to bonobos. And, but why do we rape? Because we have all of this, I guess, built up marital status now and people like, I don't know. I mean, power. That's, po- power, well, yes, I mean, mm-hmm. of course. But okay, when you say, if you said that the, the bonobos, they don't rape each other, would you say that, I mean, most of them don't or it's not like a regular occurrence the way it is in chimpanzee culture or maybe, a, maybe human culture, but um, but I mean, no, no bonobo has ever been seen to rape another. Bonobo really? Wow. In captivity or in the wild. Wow. There's also never been an observed case of infanticide mm. or murder. Huh. I know. Of one bonobo to another. And what do they? What they do they blood. link that to? Why? Why is that? It's because they live in communal environments and they're all 
Well, I wouldn't say that because lots of primates live in communal environments. Chimpanzees live in uh, social groups, complex social groups. But chimpanzees will rip your face off. Yeah, they can. I mean, <laughs> you know, chimpanzees are, it's interesting because as we, we talk about Insects at Dawn, when Jane Goodall first got to Gombe and started observing chimpanzees, the first three or four years, she didn't see any violence at all. And she was writing about how peaceful and relaxed they are and you know, these, how they had sort of social mechanisms for resolving anxiety and tension and so on. And those articles weren't getting much attention. And then she saw, and then what happened was she had graduate students coming to observe the chimps with her. And it's very difficult to follow the chimpanzees through the treetops because they, mm. they swing from branch to oh, branch yeah. and you're down on the bottom hacking through thorns and, you know, undergrowth. And it's really difficult to keep up with them. So. What they started doing was um, leaving fruit in an, in an area where they would then like sort of position themselves to observe the chimps when they came in mm. to get this fruit. And so think about how strange this is. Chimpanzees live, they, they eat dispersed, widely dispersed fruit in the jungle. Now suddenly there's a lot of fruit in one place. Mm -hmm. Then they, they would leave the fruit at the same time every day. So, of course, the chimps quickly figured out, like, oh, 5 o'clock, there's going to be, you know, late afternoon, there's going to be fruit there. So they'd start coming earlier, and they'd start, like, trying to break it out of the boxes mm -hmm. that it was in. And they, these chimps are very strong, so they'd rip the boxes apart. So then they had to, like, keep making more reinforced containers for this fruit to the point where they, like, poured concrete. They basically <laughs> oh made a bunker, a fruit bunker, to keep the chimps out of the fruit until the assigned time for observation. Mm -hmm. Now again, what's this like for a chimpanzee? Chimpanzees have never smelled or seen fruit that they couldn't get at. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist in the jungle. It's there in the tree, you go get it. So that introduced a lot of frustration. Mm -hmm. And it also introduced the equivalent of accumulated resources, right? So it changed their social functioning. So then uh, neighboring chimps, uh, groups of chimps, started coming to try to raid to get this fruit, uh, right? Then they're at war. So, so now they're at war. Yeah. And so she observes this violence that's happening between the chimps and the different groups of chimps, and she writes about this, and it's front page news. It's on the cover of National Geographic. You know, the primate origins of warfare have been uh -huh. discovered. You know, we're just chimpanzees. So. A lot of the work that I do in Sex at Dawn and the book I'm writing now, it's about showing how narratives um, that are presented as science mm. are often really politics. Yeah. It's really just a story that reinforces a view that is powerful for one reason or another, economically or philosophically or whatever, uh, especially where it concerns human nature. So you hear all about chimps, you hear about their violence, even though they're not really that violent yeah, most of the, all time. the time. Yeah, yeah that's but we have this picture of like, oh, they're ripping each other's faces <laughs> off because we heard some woman in Connecticut had her face ripped off by oh, a pet yeah. chimp seven years ago. People shouldn't have fucking pet chimps anyway. Yeah. Um, Michael Jackson and Bubbles. <laughs> and also that chimp, by the way. Bubbles? It was it named Bubbles? Oh, Michael no, Jackson's face Oh, no, no, the, the face. face ripper was, I don't know the, the name. Face the face ripper, ripper in Connecticut. I may be wrong about this, but I think that chimp was on 
like some sort of psychoactive drug, it, oh. like antidepressants so or something. Uh, it had some, or or no, or it was, it was something. It was on something that was supposed to for humans to calm it. Yeah, oh, to, uh, yeah. Oh. There, I mean, you know, whatever. You have a chimp in your house, you get what you deserve. Yeah, but it's true. I don't mean to be. Sorry, mean, sorry, mean face person lady. with no face. Yeah, if she's listening. <laughs> did she, did she survive that? I don't remember. I think so. I don't know. Just no face. I don't know. Yeah. Well. But anyway, so uh, so, yeah, you, so we're equally saying, related to chimps and bonobos. But so are you oh, we're equally. This equally. whole thing with, the, with Jane Goodall introducing the the fruit and then seeing the warfare, is it possible that that... So you're saying that the frustration, that the ability to go into frustration mode and be at war with each other was always there, but that just kind of, kind of sparked it. it. So it's, right. over, it's always right. over resources, yeah. basically. Right. And over, scarcity. And that's the right. same thing with, with, you know, scarcity of people's bodies, of right. access to bodies. And, and of course, it's not this, like, I'm, I don't have access, so I'm entitled to but taking. But why is it that, I don't remember why, why is it that, because it's been a hot minute since I've read the book, but there was a direct link of why bonobos don't, aren't known to rape. Right. Well, Franz Duval, the famous Dutch primatologist, oh, yeah. said that chimps use violence to get sex and bonobos use sex to avoid violence. Mm -hmm. So okay. he would argue, I think, and most, most experts would argue that bonobos use, and this relates to your availability point, bonobos have sex so often that um, the sort of the male frustration doesn't have a chance to build up because they're getting laid left and right. And the other thing that's really important, especially in this, this cultural moment, the whole Me Too movement, mm -hmm. is that female bonobos stick together. So when a male gets aggressive, because males are bigger than females, mm -hmm. uh, as in chimps and humans. So when a male starts to get a little aggressive with a female, all the females will and they'll be like, attack uh -uh. him. Nope. Yeah, so so <laughs> males quickly learn like, you know, one, if you start hassling one female, you're gonna get all the females, you know, attacking you. And two, it doesn't pay anyway. Just like chill and be cool and you get laid. Yeah. Okay, everyone listening, just just chill out. <laughs> the pussy is coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. There's enough for everyone. You know what, on oh, a really side is. note, yeah. with the me, the me Too thing, remember when that was happening, I was trying to think of a story. I was not like I wanted, I didn't want to like post me like, oh, I want to, I want to have a story, oh. but I know something has happened to me. I know. I, I, got, I got offered um, basically um, advancement for a date from a boss before. At, like advancement in employment and additional oh, income yeah. at a at actually in Santa Cruz County when I worked when I was 24 years old yeah and so I quit because I was like excuse me but that was the only thing that I could think of I have never so been like, harassed harassed but that's still kind of I mean that's right quid pro quo he came right out and like he asked me to come into his office uh -huh. and he said hey I have to talk to you and then he was telling me to fire my boyfriend and then he said do you want to go someplace in this company? And I said, oh, yeah, of course, like, I'm, I'm motivated, I'm, I'm ready. And they said, well, you know, it, it would really be helpful for you to go on a date with me, just one date, just go out to dinner with me. Um, and then he gave me, like, we were at a company event before this incident and he was giving me hundreds and was like, hey, honey, go get me some drinks and buy yourself something too. I was like, okay, I'm not your assistant. I was totally in a different department, but he was huh. the VP. Huh? Mm. Yeah, that's the only thing that I can think of. So I, I, I found it really interesting that I had this this block that I couldn't think of this because I did have something that was kind of traumatic-ish. I mean, yeah. it was it was it actually was kind of really really threw me off. 
Yeah, and it took, but it took me months. To, I was like thinking about it. I was like, I know something's happened. And it's not this repressed memory. It's something that I just haven't thought about in a long time. I guess that's what a repressed memory is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't attempt to repress it because was it extremely No, like, no. It was, I mean, but it was. So when I was probably 13, I was at my friend's house and we had a slumber party with a bunch of girls and she has a twin brother. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and it, and always dangerous. And, and he had his like, one or two of his friends over and... You know, at night when we all went to sleep, they came into the room and we were all hanging out and the lights were off. And um, so we were all in there. She's in there and her brother's in there. And it was like the classic trick, but I was 13. And so it didn't really understand. Maybe I was 12. I don't know. I didn't get the trick of like, when he asked me to give him a massage. So I started giving him a massage. A penile massage? No. Well, so there's a massage <laughs> on the back. And then... He said, okay, I'm going to turn over and give me a massage on my chest. And so I start with my chest and he, and he like slowly just takes my hand, shoves it down his pants and starts like jacking himself off Whoa. with my hand. His tiny little 13-year-old dick. It was bite size. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I remember going through the whole the whole like the compliant thing of like I don't I don't want to be doing this I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing I've never touched a penis before and this is like the first way I'm touching one is by right. someone just kind of taking my hand and using it as a jack-off device as if I'm not even here which still baffles me like why are you even using my yeah, hand? Yeah use your own <laughs> hand then you know how fast or slow to go there's too. Some, yeah so there's your little 12 year old's like hand. Because my hand clearly wasn't like yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like a dead hand. <laughs> like what are you doing? But I still didn't pull it away. Okay. I didn't say anything. I and I Wait, remember, did he finish? Yeah. Well, totally. Oh, for real? Yeah, he finished. Oh, wow. I probably took like one minute. I don't know, but it, but it was but no, but it was. I still left there just feeling like disgusted. You did know, you wipe dis- it on his face. Or should have. Yeah, but I wasn't that liberated and empowered. Yeah. I was really confused. And the other kind of fucked up part right? is that this person. Um, used to kind of pick on me because I was of a uh, lower financial status than his family. His family was a wealthy family, you know, the parents were doing big things and they had a really nice house up in the suburbs. And and he would literally criticize me for my clothes and things like that, literally essentially saying, you're poor. And he mm. continued to do that. He did that before that and he did that after that. And so the combination of having this bullying with this person that, that this this happened with, I think was also extra damaging. Yeah. Um, and it was just yeah, just just felt like, and I was taller than him too, by the way. But like the man was getting was was coming down on me, and it was just. And so, anyways, I just thought it was interesting. That it took me so long to remember that. It took me three or four months, and I was just in a conversation, and it just popped up. Well, and I was like, oh yeah. But that time frame in life, I mean, there's people actually ayahuasca brings out like traumatic experiences for mm-hmm. people that they've never remembered from when they were like two years old in the crib. Mm-hmm. But I've had I've had mutual friends that have like gone through experiences that they didn't even know because you suppress it yeah. or you just didn't remember because it was at a strange point in your I life. Did, and I mean, I did talk about this with my partner maybe three years ago or maybe almost four years or three and a half years ago. So. It has come up, but since then it just hasn't oh. come up. So, um, yeah, so I don't, I just was thought about that. It wasn't that I was fishing for them, like, I want to be a part of the Me Too movement. So did you say Me Too then? No, because it just happened like two weeks ago. Oh. So I was like, crap, too late. I mean, I guess I could, but I wasn't, it wasn't because I wanted to be a part of it. I just, it was because I knew that there was something 
in there. I was like, I, my whole, I don't have a perfectly clean slate in terms of my interactions with the world and in sexuality. And um, it's it's pretty clean compared to what a lot of people have gone through. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting how long it took me to go there. And, and have Chris, that, oh, have you moment. had Me Too moments? Yeah, have you been Me Too? Or a moment? Uh, I, you know, I, I have had think? experiences that, uh, in the current cultural context would probably would definitely be seen as that I was abused mm-hmm. but at the time I didn't feel abused yeah you know I had a babysitter who did some interesting things with me that I thought that I was totally you're into. like the 10th person male-bodied individual I will say that has had babysitter experiences that has talked uh, that has told me about it mm. It's so interesting. What babysitters are these? Where, <laughs> I heard I, I get know. one of those. Who are they? No, no, I don't. That's scary. What is going on? So I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you because well, no, I want to hear this. But, but that he is... enjoyed it. See, and so this is what so gets a little oh, confusing here right. about is it's all contextual, right? Like if someone, so one one person's rule or law or idea about what's not okay doesn't apply to everyone, right? And yeah, yeah. And, and you know, people always say, well, what would you, you know, what if that were your daughter? And it's like, well, that would be different. Daughters and sons are different. Mm. You know, if my if my uncle had tits, he'd be my aunt. Mm. I mean, let's... He'd be my aunt. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I was 11 and she was probably 16 or 17 and something's buzzing. Who's singing? Oh, no, it's someone's car alarm. Yeah. It's a oh, car alarm. Oh, it's a car alarm. Yeah. Oh, good. Sorry. Okay. Oh, good. Uh, and uh, she, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, she was sexy mm-hmm. to me. And uh, she, I didn't understand why, right? So that was my main, the main memory I have of it is like, yeah, I want to do these things, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And so there was this moment where, she was sitting on the sofa watching TV and I was coming back from the kitchen or something and I was standing behind her and I looked down her blouse and I could see her breasts and she turned around and looked up at me and her boyfriend's name was Chris and she said, uh, Mm -hmm. she looked up at me and sort of smiled and she said, you know, Chris likes to touch them. And you're Chris. And and I was also Chris. Yeah, and I remember thinking like, okay, she's given me permission to do this. I want to do this, but I have no idea why I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I that's always sex has always interested me in that sense because like, you know, there's always been the parallel between the physical hunger and then the intellectual reaction to the physical hunger. Mm-hmm. So I've always found sex to be very interesting in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when I I traveled through my 20s and 30s and uh, like sort of the motivating, central motivating question in my life was always, so what, what's, distinguish the personal from the cultural from the species? Like what's human, Mm. what's American, and what's just me? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, Joseph Campbell, this uh, mythologist, a great writer and thinker, he talks about the process of detribalization being very important in in the education of any sort of a interesting person. And that what he means by that is first recognize that you're in a tribe, and recognize that your tribe believes certain things, 
that aren't necessarily true, that are arbitrary, that are mm -hmm. part of your tribal cultural identity. And then you, you start to sort of distinguish those things from universal truths, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, racism is part of a tribal belief system mm -hmm. or sexism or, you know, you know, class things. I mean, there are all, all sorts of different things. Or in America right now, there are a lot of beliefs around sexual agency that are changing really quickly, mm -hmm. you know, so the tribal identity can, can shift really quickly. I've spent most of my adult life living in Spain. So when I come to the U.S. and see what's going on here, it's like deeply familiar because I grew up here. Which part of Spain? Barcelona. Oh, I love Barcelona. I lived in Sevilla. Sevilla is great. Andalusia, yeah. yeah. flamenco, the birthplace. Sorry, but I love yeah. that. I love Spain. <laughs> Spain. It's my happy place. Yeah, I love Spain. And it's very different, as you know, so culturally, uh, sexually. That's the know. thing. I'm usually yeah. attracted to the Latin kind of culture. Like, mm. for me, dating Americans was unthought of. Until now. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, sometimes I look at, at him and I'm thinking to myself, you are so American. Yeah. <laughs> white bread. Wha wha white I meant bread. like Wonder Bread is what I meant when I said that, everyone. <laughs> said that wrong. <laughs> and your wife is from Spain? No, she's from Mozambique. Oh, Mozambique. In, in Africa, yeah. Oh, yeah. But she grew up partly in Mozambique, partly in Portugal. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, she's very multicultural. Her family, her origins are mostly from India. Oh, wow. But... Like, I think her grandparents' generation or maybe great-grandparents went to Africa. So she's, she looks like exotic, nondescript, like could be Brazilian or, you know, Latina or maybe Asian, not clear. Um, her mother was Muslim, her father was Hindu. So she had that mix, mm -hmm. but in Africa. And she was raised mostly by the African people who worked for the family. Because oh, okay. she's a lot, she's quite a bit younger than her siblings, so her family were all busy. And so she had she, no pair that looked after her. Uh, well, in Africa, room. it's more like you know they're especially in an upper class family, like they were. You know, you've got a dozen different people working at the house, and you know a lot of them lived there. So, right. yeah, it's and then they lost everything in the war. She was mm -hmm. thirteen. She was a war refugee. Her, I'm trying to convince her to write uh, what her, war? her memoir. The uh, War for Independence of Mozambique. Mm, they wow. were a Portuguese colony. And then there was a civil war, a really nasty civil war. The country's still full of uh, landmines oh, because wow. of it. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. So she probably speaks Portuguese. What else? Spanish? Yeah, she speaks seven languages. Seven. Wow. Yeah. I wish my brain had that capacity, the linguistic capacity to retain language. Like, I just cannot remember languages. Maybe it's all the ecstasy I did in my early 20s. That call. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> Damn it. That's what Amy always tells me. She's like, it's ecstasy. Getting rid of your, yeah. I know. I think I just got rid of my ecstasy era. My, my, Damn when it. When I was 25, did a little too much of that. And I feel like my cog, my, the cells have finally regenerated at 32. I saw the permanent jaw click from all the grinding I did. <laughs> can't eat bagels with me. It just makes terrible noises. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of writing a memoir someday, and, and one of the, the possible titles I've thought of is Blame It on the Ecstasy. Blame <laughs> It on the Ecstasy. I was just talking about that the other day. What it, someone was talking about how when they're, when they're on ecstasy that, you know, of course, like every, they, they, they make some poor choices in the moment. It feels right, and including... Oh, this person that's my friend, yeah, I'm really attracted to them right now. This feels good. And then they start making out, wow, 
I never knew that there was the sparks here. There's something here. <laughs> Go to sleep, wake up the next day. Just kidding. Nope, nope. Damn not, it. Yeah. Why? No, it, everything just looks extra sparkly. I've had those moments there. Oh, yeah. Okay, but this is a, a I would like to ask a question that is very much related to what you were saying. Um, about the cultures and context, and I like how you broke it down from human to tribe to you. Um, I want to ask you about shame, and I think April and I were talking about this as um, if shame is a universal experience, if every mm. culture uh, has, every culture experiences shame in regards to they shame others or people feel shame and they alter their behavior based on what the culture tells them is acceptable and what you Especially since in certain countries you can marry uh, a nine-year-old child or as soon as she becomes Mm -hmm. a woman with her menstruation. In in this country, we definitely shame people as pedophiles or as, um, I don't know, that's something that I always think about culturally. We've talked about this before in a podcast, but I'd love to get your Yeah, I I think shame exists in all cultures Mm -hmm. that I'm aware of. Um, but that doesn't mean that it is associated with the same things mm-hmm. in every culture, right? So the main thing that shame is associated with in hunter-gatherer cultures, which are pretty universal. So if we're talking about, you know, the Inuit in Alaska or um, cultures in the, in the Amazon or Papua New Guinea or Aboriginal people in Australia, there are universalities across them. One of them is that they're highly egalitarian in terms of sharing resources. And um, so shame is used to stop people from accumulating too much. Mm. So if you're a hunter and you, um, you know, come back with a a deer and you want to share it only with your woman, then you're going to be shamed for Mm. that. Mm -hmm. You're expected to share with everybody Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, Or if you... uh, if you if people start to get like big egos, there's something called insulting the meat, which happens in in many cultures. Which, so the hunter will, you know, he's killed this big thing, and then he'll come back and and ask other men to come and help bring the animal in, right? And so, there's all this ritual around it where the hunter will come back and say, you know, just sort of sit by the fire quietly until someone says, so how'd it go? And he'll say, well. Yeah, you know, I I shot something, but it's I don't know. It's it's old and skinny and you know, whatever. But maybe you can help me bring it in, or, yeah, and they'll be like, oh, right, jeez, I don't know. And then everyone will sort of complain, and then they'll go, and it's just like a big, you know, amp impala, impala or something. And then it's fantastic. Everyone's really happy, but the whole time they'll be like. Yeah, I don't know why he asked us to help you with this. I mean, this is so scrawny, you could have brought it yourself. Even though they're eating and happy. But. Right. Yeah. So this, and I remember reading this account from an anthropologist who had been living with some people in, I think, the, the Kung San people in, in, the, in the, uh, Botswana, in the desert there, the Kalahari. And um, when he was leaving, he wanted to, to make a gesture to thank them for, you know, hosting him for all the time. So he went and he found, like, the best cow in the area, and he bought this cow, and he brought it, and was going to do this big feast. And, and the whole time, everybody was like, well, I don't th- really? I don't think that's going to feed everybody. I mean, that's, it's kind of a shame to even kill it. Like, you know, what are we going to eat, the skin? You know, it's just like <laughs> pissing on this, yeah. <laughs> this whole thing. 
And he got really hurt mm-hmm. until somebody took him aside and said, hey, man, look, this is how we do this it. Is what, yeah. <laughs> this is how it is. Right. Yeah. And the reason is that they, the way it was explained to him is he said, if somebody starts to feel like a great hunter, then we need to cool their heart mm. because they become dangerous. Hum- make them humble. You humble right. them down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So shame is used, I would say, most universally to like just chill people out mm-hmm. if they start to get too big for their britches you know start to act like hey i'm in charge here mm-hmm. no you're not this yeah. is a consensus society nobody forces anyone to do anything mm-hmm. and uh so that's what will happen there are different stages of social control and shame and ridicule is mm-hmm. the first one if that doesn't work then like the shaman or somebody with a sense of authority and authority by the way is granted by the people it's mm-hmm. you can't you can't just say, I'm the boss, do what I say. Because think of it, everybody's armed. Mm-hmm. Everybody is, you know, can shoot really well at mm-hmm. 50 yards away. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how big you are, how, how smart you are, whatever, you get shot in the back if mm-hmm. you become a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And everyone depends on everyone else. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's really important. So first ridicule and shame, joking about, oh, Amy thinks she's really great. You say, Amy's, oh, look at Amy. Amy's so cool. <laughs> and then if Amy doesn't get the message, then somebody takes you aside and says, hey, you got to, you know, the gods don't like what you're doing. That doesn't work. You sh- they shoot you. <laughs> you, have a, you have one opportunity. You have an accident. Yeah, yeah. an accident. An accident. Oops. She didn't humble down, so she fell down the well. That makes sense. I grew up in a very shame, shaming, I mean, Wisconsin, the Midwest. Uh-huh. Not, I don't think everybody's getting the same shame, but talking about sex or... I mean, drugs or anything openly was really not accepted. See, I, I think any level. yeah, and you're making me think that I should make a distinction too, because there's shame as somebody saying to you, like, you know, you need to calm down, or you're, you know, th- that kind of controlling mm-hmm. social control shame. You're too much. Right, mm-hmm. but then there's the shame of, I'm ugly. You know, yeah. my body's horrible. The, the sort of original sin shame. I'm a slut. I'm a slut because yeah. I think things. I had that dream. I had sex with more than one human or I had sex when I wasn't married, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so that's... Well, but, but see, then again, that's a social control shame. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about shame that's just like, I'm bad. Oh, yeah. You know, not because anyone told me necessarily, just mm-hmm. because I'm human. Yeah. And a lot of religion, Judeo-Christian religions sort of start with the belief that you're born... Disgusting. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it, just by being an animal, the parts of you that are associated, you know, that are bodily because yeah. they're animalistic, they're dirty, they're, they're, dirty, they're horrible, they're yeah. corrupt. Mm-hmm. That original conception, that doesn't exist mm. in hunter gatherers. Okay. So that mm. one you're saying wouldn't be a universal. No, that's okay. not. So yeah, it's only, that, like only not, the shame that serves a social purpose uh-huh. of keeping people peaceful and in line. That exists. That's interesting. But it is not, interesting. Not I'm disgusting, you know, because I'm... Because I'm human. Because I have a body. Because yeah. I have genitals and because I think these... Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I ask this question a lot when I teach workshops. Um, I ask if you... Imagine if you were born and... Or if you were born and you know, lived a couple of years and no one had ever told you who you should or shouldn't be as a sexual being, what would you be like? And most people have no clue what that looks like, except they think that they'd be more free and expressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and... But because most... Most people, at least in, in in American culture, have received so many messages that have told them. And so, you, what you're talking about is kind of more of the 
um, there's the conformist thing of just changing. There's certain parts of me that need to shift because they've been shamed. Um, and I think more, it is really, really common for people to think that they're broken and yeah. that there's there's something wrong. Just the fact that we're cutting people's bodies when they're born, like that already. That that we're you know the circumcision just blows my mind that we're already like there's something wrong with you. Only one percent of the world's population it. though does that, and it's usually it's here. States. It's so yeah, so common. <laughs> Which is funny. I because... mean, I still know know plenty of women that when they see an uncircumcised penis, they freak the fuck out because. They're not used to it. They're still programmed to think it's disgusting and I dirty. Know, which is so weird. Yeah. That we were programmed to but, think that. But I mean, this practice that's happening. I'm like, why wouldn't you want your own personal masturbation sleeve? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't on. you? Or some Uber lube. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> okay, but it makes its own lube. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so it, it yeah, just it just. I'm Switzerland though with it. I try to say Switzerland. I try I'm an to equal say Switzerland too. I, I say this because I want people to just question the fact when it comes to shame, and that we're already training young people from day one that they're all, there's something wrong with them from the start, and that they're that they're dirty, and we need to clean them up by cutting off a piece of them. And so whatever you want to do, and I think that that just contributes to the idea that we. Well, I was married to an Israeli Jew mm -hmm. for a long time. And he was dead set on the fact that circumcision was the cleanliest way to go for penises. And I said, there's no real You also proof. thought you could get an STD from a cave. He <laughs> did. <laughs> <laughs> we were driving by a cave oh, once in Israel or, or, no, or somewhere. And he was no, it was like, in Israel. No, oh, it was in Southern it was California. In, it was in Palm Springs. Yeah, he <clears> said, <throat> I heard you can get STD from cave. <laughs> from a cave? From a cave. He said, there are these Bedouins, and they get STD from cave. <laughs> and Amy was like, um, pretty sure that's not true. And I said, what STD can you get from a cave? <laughs> well, I don't know, but it's bad rash. <laughs> cave chlamydia. <laughs> the clap from the cave. Oh, Is the clap chlamydia, though? I no, thought it's it was gonorrhea. gonorrhea. Oh, yeah, I yeah. always call the clap chlamydia. Yeah. It's not sounds, that I've had a sounds lot of like it. Yeah. The first time I, I had sex with a Spanish woman, she looked at my dick and said, Oh, this is the first time I've been with a circus sized man. Circus sized. <laughs> 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 oh, that's good. Well, you must have a huge dick. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just, or, or why did, midget. Or pre yeah. pre why, did, small. why did Americans decide? What was it? What, where did that come from? That it was, was it, the best. Was it, Kel was it Kellogg? Or it was the anti-masturbation yeah. frenzy of the late 19th century. Uh -huh. Yeah, oh, yeah we it? write about this in Sex at Dawn. That yeah. There was a the war on masturbation was intense. It was like the war on drugs now. Or, yeah. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, it's uh, you know people were told that by authority figures like Kellogg that. Uh, Masturbation led to insanity, nerve disorders, uh, you know, all sorts of death eventually, or you know, organ failure. And so they thought they were doing the right thing by making sure their kids didn't masturbate. And so they one thing was circumcision. Uh, in boys that weren't circumcised, Kellogg recommended that um, the foreskin be sewn closed with silver sutures. And done without anesthesia. Oh my! Wow. Right to you know, so the boy would associate. Now the oh. fact that boys get erections every night when they sleep. Oh, that's terrible. And yeah. That's torture. Yeah. Yeah. They also had penis cages. You guys have seen these, I'm the sure. Chastity, now we see them. Yeah. Penis more devices. For, yeah, dominance and submission. Well, no, but these have like spikes in them. Oh Jesus! So if you get an erection, your uh, 
penis like hits the spikes. Wow. And that doesn't, yeah. I mean, I guess an erection would go down but right away, but that doesn't teach your body not to have erections necessarily. No, it's, it's not going to thing, do it. Especially it does when it when you're asleep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my wife, Casilda, she's very good at making erections go away. <laughs> she, she can show you. That's a compliment. <laughs> Wait, do you want to elaborate on that? Story? Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, no, she. I, I'd been with her for like a couple of years, and we were hanging out with this this goofy friend of ours, and uh, he was, we were getting high, and he was talking. Oh, because she she had never smoked weed or had a drink or anything. She was like super good girl mm-hmm. until she met me <laughs> and the things went south really quickly and so we were getting high and and uh we were laughing about how she had because she started smoking when she was 40 wow and she went through the same things that we all go through like that really giggly phase mm-hmm. for the first couple mm-hmm. years which i, I was thought good old days. i love those days. yeah i thought it was because we were kids yeah. but it turns out it's just because you just started smoking weed yeah you, so she was giggly as fuck. Like she couldn't stop laughing, you know, for, you know, extended periods. Anyway, so my friend was just laughing. He's like, Kisilda, you're so innocent. You're, you know, you, you know, you're just starting out in life. Like you've only been with like what? Your, your ex-husband and this guy? I mean, you're so innocent. You probably think Chris has a big dick. And, <laughs> and Cassie said, oh, no, I've seen a th- I've seen over a thousand penises. And we're like, what? And she said, yeah, I told you I did that research in Africa for the World Health Organization about penises. I was like, no, no you didn't, bitch. And she's like, yeah, I told you. I, I had to measure a thousand penises. Like, what? I had to measure a thousand penises? In Africa? Are you kidding? That's like from here to the airport. Like, penis. You line them up. But anyway, she, so she was talking when she was a young doctor. Her, she was doing this research. Uh, and it involved, it was about STDs in Africa, and this is like very early AIDS days. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she had to inspect the genitals of a thousand men and a thousand women as part of this research. And so, and my friend was fascinated. He's like, well, but what you, so you're like, these guys pull their pants down and you're like looking at their dicks? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah. And uh, he said, well, didn't they, like they must have gotten turned on and she's right? handling the, the dicks, she's handling it like and she's like this smoking hot 25 year old you know <laughs> mixed race doctor and uh i don't blame him and she's like oh yeah they st- you just like flick it flick it and she showed like you just flick right in the front of the head and it's oh it goes right down everyone we just learned a powerful tool if you need to get an erection just flick it yeah. she, she's wow. a, She's, she's seen a lot of so dicks. So what? She's did flicked she, a lot of dicks. She's what, a lot what country did, does she know? For, what country has the average? I, I heard it's the Congo has the largest lengthwise or lengthwise, lengthwise, lengthwise. Like the average is six point two inches. Really? Mm. Yeah, and then Jamaica's second. Where did you hear this? Uh, it's a it's a whole map of the world of penises of penis sizes per country. And I wonder whose job it was to do that. I don't know, <laughs> but my um. An industry friend sent it to me because I sell masturbators. So uh, I was like, you should look at this map. Yeah. But I wonder if she has the same. I don't know if it's changed over the years. 
Well, I mean, I know the racial uh, differences, but as far as country, that would be interesting, you know, because mm -hmm. there are different tribes and different countries and lots of, you know, mixtures. Right. But yeah, black guys tend to have longer dicks than, than white guys who then tend to have longer dicks than Asian guys. Yeah. But I mean, the way, I, I, I find this whole thing kind of strange because the way they measure it is they take a flaccid penis and pull it to its uh, length, yeah. you know, as far as you can and measure it. And I'm telling you, you can take my flaccid penis and pull it, and that's not it's this, the it's same. Totally yeah. different. So it's Does one it of these. Does it say when it's flaccid and you pull it, that's the same as it would be when it's hard? That's what. That's the assumption, huh. but that's not the case. At least not with mine. So I, I mean, I haven't pulled a lot of flaccid dicks in my day. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think this is one of these cases that happens often in science, and this I relate. You know, referred to this earlier, like how mm. politics is often masquerading yeah. as science. I think often also what we do in science is we measure what can be measured mm -hmm. and we ignore that which can't be measured conveniently and then we just extrapolate and act like that's valid, but it really isn't. Mm -hmm. So for example, in, in sexuality research, I'm sure you guys have thought about this, like so much of the research on, you know, what, 35% uh, of uh, women report never having orgasm uh, during intercourse mm -hmm. and, you know, 60% rarely. Well, who are those women? Mm -hmm. Those are undergraduate American college students, mm -hmm. right? When I, studying, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I read that stat to Casilda when we were working on the book and she was like, what? No, that's because it just said women. Mm -hmm. And she's like, that's, that's not women, that's mm -hmm. American. And then I looked, and it's like, oh, she's right. These, all, these, all this is American graduate students doing research on American students. Mm -hmm. One of the most sex-negative cultures in the world. Mm -hmm. These are 20, 21-year-old girls who are sitting in Psych 101 class under fluorescent lights at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning filling in a questionnaire. Mm -hmm. I, that's not accurate. That doesn't, you can't extrapolate from that to women. Yeah. What about 40-year-old women in Brazil? Yeah. How mm -hmm. many of them are coming when they fuck? Yeah. Right? It, or, it yeah, ain't... or for you know, 40 year old American women who have right. had more time to figure the out Canadians, what their body is. Like. Exactly. Become more empowered. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's cultural, it's age, it's, it, you know, what time of the month. Mm -hmm. Women are more likely to have an orgasm when they're ovulating than when they aren't. Yeah. There's way you too know? many variables, I think, to have yeah. a total standard. Yeah, that, it, especially ever since I had that thing with the IUD too, and, and you know, the IUD, I had the IUD, of course, I got you know, pregnant with the IUD and had an abortion and got another IUD and started having all these symptoms my face was breaking out my body felt really bloated. because you got the copper one same thing though oh, that's what i had before one. copper so i talked to my doctor and the doctor's like it can't be the iud you know but our it's not the iud the iud doesn't do that because even they're that's how they're educated mm -hmm. and i'm like I just everything to me is feeling like it's run by pharmaceutical companies yeah. it's all based around money or what someone's personal experience or a small group of people's personal experiences and then we get that information and believe that it's true and it's fact and it's the same for everyone. And I just I used to be such a believer in in science and in in research studies and things like, and and I still look at research studies and I take everything I'm I definitely am looking at everything and with more more questions and then the bigger picture because it's I mean that, that was so frustrating and then the minute I get the IUD out problem solved hmm. but the any if you talk to any western doctor well, they would never say think that think about certain drugs or like ozone which is illegal in this country but you can actually cure cancer with it like anthony kiedis used it to 
basically cures hep C and you have to inject it and it's literal ozone. But it's not really legal in this country because I think because, because the pharmaceutical, because pharmaceutical the pharmaceuticals companies want to make money off their... every single yeah. ailment yeah. with a pill. Mm-hmm. So if you have any disease, try the ozone. Go to Mexico. Shoot it up. Mm-hmm. Shoot it, it up. I'm, I'm fairly certain it almost cures everything from cancer to hep C. Yeah. I've been researching it. Yeah, we are such as a repressed... Although it's it's nice to see changes, I didn't think I'd live to see legalized marijuana. I know. And now, have you have you gone in the? You can go to dispensaries now. Yeah, and no, go buy whatever but, you want. Rat weed. I've had a card for years. Yeah, so. but you don't yeah. need it now. I wonder if they're like if they're just overflowing with people now that it's all is open and it's a free for all. Sure. I don't know. Like it was in Colorado years ago. Yeah, yeah. in Amsterdam forever. I so know. I have a question yeah, for you, Chris. How did you meet your wife? Like, did you have use a pickup line? <laughs> no, I met her at a transpersonal psychology conference in Portugal. Oh. Yeah. And did you speak English with her when you met her? Or yeah. you speak... Yeah, we speak English or Spanish. Or Spanish. Because she yeah. speaks seven languages, which yeah. is incredible. Um, and that's the language that you use to communicate with each other, English mostly? Or Spanish, yeah. Or Spanish. Because yeah. we lived in Spain together for what, 10 years. Oh, wow. Or more. I don't know. No. 17 years. What am I saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what, did you have a drink with her? You saw her from across the room with her long spitting lines? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start tearing up if I tell Aww. that story. It's, um, but she, yeah, basically we saw each other at this conference. And uh, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was this, th- there was a very strong sense with her of like, um, there was no effort required. Mm. It, it was all just like everything just was, waiting to fit into place Mm -hmm. do you believe in like that twin flame soulmate kind of life partner thing you know i think probably there are many soulmates and there are many good relationships that you could have and there are many people you can love so i don't believe there's like one person out Mm -hmm. there i think there are a lot of people and a lot of paths that are all legitimate and interesting and beautiful and so I don't believe in that, but I but I do believe that there are um, there are you know spirits that we encounter that you can just feel immediately uh, comfortable together and like this just is good and I feel that with male friends of mine you know I feel that in non-sexual situations I feel that with I have a friend who's 85 and like the day I met him it was like oh we're gonna be friends you know forever you just feel it it's just you know whatever it's there and it was there with her so uh no there's no pickup line there was no there's never ever been any sort of. You were like, uh, hey, you want to measure my dick? No. <laughs> I got this erection. Could you? Do it? <laughs> Can you flick it? Yeah, I'm feeling so. Trying to take it down. Notch. <laughs> take it down. Notch. I got this circus-sized dick. Circus. <laughs> you might be interested. We in. still don't know what that means. But. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was really easy. No, I, I, I never use pickup lines. I never was a dating dude, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I I went through a period about six years where I 
was promiscuous as hell, but I wasn't ever. And the best thing I ever did as far as meeting women was when I finally recognized that I was non-monogamous and like thought of that as a concept and stopped blaming my girlfriends for my restlessness. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, up until I was maybe 30, I would be with a woman and was really happy and, you know, whatever. And then I'd start to get restless and, you know, think about other women. And, and I, the way I sort of intellectually metabolized that thought was I thought, well, it's because she's not as smart mm. as, you know, I really need or she's not that funny or, you know, in bed, it's, it's not the, exactly the way I like it or you know, whatever. There's always some flaw in her mm. and that's why... I wasn't happy just with her mm-hmm. and it didn't occur to me until uh you know around 30 that it's like no no this is it's it's not her it's me mm-hmm. and it's not uh reflective of any problem with her it's just like i you know i i sort of looked at my life and it's like dude you spent you're 30 years old you've lived in like 16 countries and you, you know you you haven't stopped for more than a year why would you think that one woman Mm-hmm. is going to be the one if you can't even pick a continent, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so then it started to make sense that, uh, so what I did, and that's when I did my research in graduate school about uh, human sexual behavior and prehistory. And I started reading all the stuff about humans not being monogamous by nature. And which isn't, you know, for people listening to this, it's not an argument that, that there's anything wrong with monogamy or that there's anything even unnatural about pair bonding because our species does seem to pair bond naturally. But what I argue in the book is that it's not our nature to be, to have sex with only one person for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Just like it's not our nature to only like one artist or one musician or one kind of food or, you know, it's like we're gregarious and omnivorous by nature. And so that applies to lots of different parts of life. Mm-hmm. But you can choose what to do about it. You, uh, you know, the line I used in the TED Talk was, um, just because you've decided to be a vegetarian doesn't mean bacon stops smelling good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So choose not to eat bacon if you want, but it's still going to smell good. And don't blame yourself for it. Yeah. Right? That's shame the shame. Yourself, yeah. I right. think monogamy probably made sense before people started living until they were 100. Like, great, I have to marry. Well, you don't have to marry this person. But for me, that's the, the forever mentality is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Because I think like when people used to live in to their 40s maximum... Maybe it made more sense to be monogamous and you just... Well, isn't the belief that it's actually not even true that people used to die... Or people actually did live long lives. Didn't you write about that? I don't know. You did write did, about oh, that. Oh, so good. Yeah. So I want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, the the belief that... Now, now, see, people did die earlier in like medieval times. Right. right? Where there were like huge infectious diseases mm-hmm. and the plague and all this stuff. But as far as uh, primordial humans, hunter-gatherers, um, our species typically lives into their 70s. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Now, the reason that we have been told that the average longevity was in the 30s or 40s is that statistically, you can argue that if you look at infant mortality, up to almost half, like 47% of kids died before 15. 
So when you take that and you mix it, you know, statistically you average out. If that many kids are dying that young, then the average comes down. Mm -hmm. So right. because of that, the average lifespan is 40, 35, 40, whatever. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean people died at 40. Nobody was ever old at 40 okay. in our species. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So, and again, that's an example where people who, you know, archaeologists have known this forever, but it's become this popular belief that, I mean, I, I've taught classes in medical school where the, medic, the doctors believe this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and it really misinforms a lot of medicine because I've heard doctors say, well, the reason people have back pain is that we weren't designed to live this long. That's what mm -hmm. I always thought, the Alzheimer's and dementia because right. our brains mm -hmm. weren't designed But see, that's bullshit. Yeah. Good to and know, it, I love learning. And it continues Yay. to be mm -hmm. promulgated because it's satisfying for people in our society to say, oh, we live twice as long. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you know, we've got all these problems. And Let's we... just go blame it on that yeah, other thing. Yeah, well, I mean... blame it on that. And also, like, you know, you can say, well, we're fucking up the planet. And, you know, there's a lot of poverty. and there's, mm -hmm. But, hey, we live twice as long. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, can't argue with that. But it's bullshit. Yeah. It's not true. So. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Yeah. So but what I was saying yeah. earlier, and you know, for people listening to your podcast, I don't know how many men listen to your podcast, yeah, but forty-seven yeah. percent <laughs> that we know, of. that we know. Of. <laughs> but the best thing that ever happened for me in terms of dating was when I stopped trying to present myself as what I thought women wanted to see, and I thought, like, when I was like, "Oh shit, this is me." This means I'm never going to have a significant relationship with a woman again because mm -hmm. no one will want that. No one will put up with that. But I can't, I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just, this is who I am. So it's kind of like coming out of the closet in a way, you know, like, oh shit, I'm gay. Whoa, mm -hmm. wait a minute. Mm -hmm. And so when I, then I was doing the research. So when I met women, uh, the first thing we talk about was, what do you do? Oh, I'm in grad school. What do you do? Studying uh, human sexual behavior and prehistory. Oh, what's the, what's that about? Well, we weren't monogamous. We're not meant to be monogamous, you know, naturally. Half the women would be like, oh, okay, see you see later, ya. yeah. But the half who stayed were really interesting mm -hmm. and really smart and open-minded and like, what? what, what's this mean? Because I kind of felt that way, you know? And so we, so first thing that did, it did was it eliminated women that it was really not worth time to spend getting to know anyway. Mm -hmm. And the second one is it filtered it down to women who are open-minded and interesting. Mm -hmm and resonated with this. So I ended up having hooking up with far more women when I stopped trying to get women. Get women. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. When it's By like, just hey, being you and talking about is, what your purpose is. This is it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is what I believe. Mm -hmm. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I don't care. And mm -hmm. it worked much better. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to young guys, that's what I try to tell them is like find your non-negotiables yeah. and don't negotiate. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, in my experience, women Above any other quality in a man, they respect authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so if you know who you are, be that. Mm -hmm. And then everything else works out. Yeah. Oh, this is this is a good little segue into some things that we've been... That we, you and I have talked about before, and April and I have discussed as well, um, is uh, specifically with men and authenticity, but I think for all people in authenticity as well, um, is 
that, and I like what you're saying, is that women are really attracted to authenticity because I think beneath it too is safety, right? right? If you're authentic, if you're real, and if I can trust that you're fully in your power as, as who you are, then I feel safe with you. Right. And then that safety, you know, safety helps with everything, with sex, with desire, with attraction, with, um, if someone doesn't, and then there's, then there's the whole bad boy thing. And this is really funny. Um, I was reading this, this book that um, my partner had and he had ordered this from the back of a magazine in 1995. It's a magazine that was for like, you know, 13, 14 year old boys. It was just called Girls. And it doesn't even say who the author is. It's some anonymous person um, who's essentially like, this is what I found that works for me to get girls and this will work for you too. And it essentially starts with, the first thing is lie to them. You have to be the rebel. You have to be the bad boy. They're only attracted to that. So tell them that you used to have a drug addiction, but you've recovered <laughs> and you went to rehab. And pretend like you're in a fight with your dad when you're on the phone with her and yell at him and swear at him so you look like a badass. And lie to her and pretend like you have all these other girlfriends and all these yeah. other things going on. And um, Don't call and, them back. Yeah, and even, even insult her to put her yeah. in her place so that she doesn't think that she has more power over you. And this is what young boys were reading. So the, the message, there was, I mean, we're not, I'm not even talking necessarily about the power piece of, like, you need to have more power over her. But this idea of um, can't show who you really are. You need to put on a show to be something else so that you can get the pussy. And if, because if you don't, you won't. Well, and there's the, the female equivalent to that of was course. a huge bestseller. Uh-huh. What was that called? Uh, but- because it was all about like don't ever call the guy back you yeah. know in the first three days what and, was it you know he has to spend so much more money you know per date it was a big bestseller like 15 years ago or something it wasn't the secret it was before the secret I'm just keep thinking of the book maybe he's not that into you <laughs> just such yeah. a terrible thing of like yeah. just get over it. yeah I don't remember which one is the, the yeah. female but it was the same the thing the same game yeah. playing yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah well that's what, that goes across the board is, you can't seem too desperate. You can't show them you're too interested. You can't yeah. be honest about how you feel. Well, but, but what I find interesting about these techniques, and I see you've got a copy of the game on the table here. April's been reading the game. Neil Strauss is <laughs> actually a good friend of mine. Oh, oh really? Yeah, which is strange. Is he cool? He's really cool. But someone said yeah. that he, there's a, a second version the that's a, a whole 180. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I started reading the book and it was difficult for me, but I, when I was single, I was trying to stay ahead of the game. No pun intended. <laughs> you right. actually, she ordered it because there was someone I that was you were up sleeping with. with. Yes. Yeah, who was who was a big fan of this? Who had read this and said that they this they had told people it was this like his is, Bible. This is their Bible of how they relate to women. Right. And so you're like, well, if I'm sleeping with this person, I need to be one step ahead of them. You, it's like chess. Yeah. Uh huh. A couple moves ahead. Yeah, but I only got to about page 25, 28. But, but that's the modern know. kind of the modern day version of what this girls would be. Yeah, what is that book? I'm trying to think of it for women. Oh, I'm talking about girls, the one that was for men, for young boys. But oh, this, girls, this the... one was well, yeah. you know, when I met Neil, uh, so the way it happened, I was working on Sex at Dawn, and this this guy came by my place, this, this tattoo artist I knew, and he was like, dude, you're writing a book about sex. You should read the game. I was like, what's that? He's like, ah, oh, it's this book about like the science of how to pick up women and and like well, like what? And he said, like, um, oh, like negging, you know, like you uh, you know, and he explained to me what negging was. Mm-hmm. You know about this, right? I don't You're looking blankly. I, am, I, mean, I yeah. figured you'd be like, Oh yeah, what neg-. is negging. So negging is when you for example, you you're in a bar and there's like 
three women and one of them super hot and the other's not so much and so you walk over and you ignore oh, the yeah, hot yeah. one okay. i don't know how to name this it. happened to us in vegas oh yeah two years ago yeah uh-huh someone said yeah that was yeah so there's that and the, or there's like um you know that blouse is really nice I, I, everyone's wearing it these days mm -hmm. or you know you'd look really pretty if your hair were shorter you oh, know yeah or, like the kind of thing where it's it seems like you're saying something nice, but you're knocking her off her balance yeah. a little bit. And I guess the idea then is that she'll want to prove something yeah. by like, you know, well, who were the fuck are you and I can get you and, you know. Um, anyway, so he explained this to me and I was like, dude, that is the opposite of what I'm trying to do here, mm. you know, with, with this book. This is all about not doing that bullshit. Um, so then Sex of Dawn came out and big surprise to me it was like i was doing all this media i was and I, I did everything i was like waking up at three in the morning to do late night trucker radio out of kansas <laughs> you know whatever i do whatever and i was really getting tired and after like a month or something i got an email from neil strauss's assistant asking me to be on his radio uh sirius xm you know thing with a million listeners or whatever so a big thing I thought, you know what, I, I have to say no to someone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say no to this guy. Because <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go well anyway, you know, because I'm just not that, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, a few months later, he was having lunch with a woman I know. And uh, she said, oh, you should talk to Chris Ryan. He wrote this book. And, and Neil was like, you know, I tried to get that guy on my thing. And he, he's the only person who's ever turned me down. Oh, and she's so you like, played the game yeah. on him. You yeah, gamed him. I nagged him. So he wanted you more. He did. <laughs> and That's so great. I was moving to L.A. And I was driving down. And, and actually, we did a Skype interview. And he interviewed me for his book, The Truth, that mm. came out recently. Um, and we got along really well, and I was surprised. Like, wow, you're not a bad guy, actually. I thought you were this manipulative little asshole. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, he's a good guy. And, and so I was driving down to L.A., and I get the, this email saying, hey, I see you're headed to L.A. He's follow me on Instagram or whatever. Uh, what are you doing tomorrow afternoon? Will you be in town? He's like, yeah, I get in tomorrow. He said, you want to go to Moby's birthday party with me? Whoa, <laughs> so nice. my first day in LA, I, I dropped off my stuff, took a shower, and drove to Hollywood Hills to, go to Moby's birthday to Moby's birthday party <laughs> with Neil. Welcome yeah, to LA. yeah, it was it was amazing. Yeah, and I thought it was going to be like hookers and coke, you know. Like, <laughs> and I get there, I didn't know Moby's like sober vegan it's like tea party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I show up vegan with a treats. six pack, and the guy at the <laughs> The guy's like, no, you want to leave that in your car. And I'm thinking, oh, it's catered. Cool. Yeah, yeah. no. It was like, it was like family friendly puppies Kids are running and around. children. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's boring. Yeah, this place <laughs> sucks. But everybody's really, really good looking. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy. Yeah. yeah. Healthy. That was interesting. So, so anyway, Neil and I have become friends. And uh, our mutual friend, Kyle, has mm -hmm. been surfing with him oh, for the last four months, like teaching him to surf. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, so and he's and he's taken a taken a turn. What inspired him to? Well, see, the game isn't. Uh, it really isn't a book about how to pick up women. It's mm -hmm. a book about these guys in that world. Mm -hmm. And what the way Neil explains this is that is a book about male um, insecurities mm -hmm. and 
inabilities to deal with women and the lengths they'll go to to try to figure out how to get close to women. Mm -hmm. It's not a how-to. See, our friend totally read it as a how-to. Yeah, I I think most people people do. do. But he was like a really nerdy guy, wasn't he? Yeah. That had issues picking up women. That's it. And so he decided to go rogue on it and figure out... Well, he... So the first thing he did... I mean, when Neil and I met in person... uh, we were talking about this and he was like, look, uh, you got laid before you were 16, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, I can always tell. Mm-hmm. And he said, you can always tell. Guys who like had early successful contact with girls are relaxed around women. Mm-hmm. Guys like me who didn't until they were in their 20s will never be relaxed around women. Mm-hmm. So we don't know how to do it. It doesn't come naturally. Mm -hmm. So we need to learn techniques. And people who are like angry at me for talking about techniques, like how is that any different than women who do their hair and wear makeup and get a boob job and wear like these clothes look good on her? And you know, they're sort of shaping themselves to appeal to men. Mm-hmm. And all I'm doing is saying, hey, some men need to learn how to shape themselves to appeal to women. And the thing is, I mean, really what he and I got down to is that a lot of these techniques and the stuff you're talking about in this book from the back of the mm-hmm. magazine, what they are is they're, they're teaching guys how to fake a space that I just said you need to be in. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, be who you are, be assertive, unapologetic about what you're into. That's sort of a bad boy vibe in a way. Like, hey, I don't give a shit, you know? Or, you know, what they call in the book peacocking, or these guys will wear ridiculous clothes and big hats and feather boas and shit. What's that showing? It shows, I don't give a shit what people think of me. I don't give a shit if I look goofy. Mm -hmm. And so if you pull that off with enough, like, uh, self-confidence then what it means is you actually don't give a shit. But what they're doing is they're faking it till they make it. Yes, and this is the the thing is, uh, can't, I mean, I believe that we can learn an authentic way of expressing ourselves that speaks to who we are. And it's going to be different from your average, you know, super relaxed, confident dude that got laid when he was 12. Right. But there'll be your own version and your own story and you will, uh, can attract mates, you know, lovers, whatever, accordingly, that will be, and then you'll, you'll get what you're, what, you know, you're, you'll get your match in that sense, too, yeah, yeah. as opposed to you go, you fluff your feathers and pretend you're something that you're not, right. what comes your way is something that you're not, right. as well, exactly. Yeah. and you, quite often that relationship works, doesn't work, or only works temporarily, or, the problem is, like, because our culture is so sex negative, and, and, you know, a lot of young men don't have uh, an older male figure mm-hmm. who can teach them how well, to do well, these things, yeah. you know. So it, it's messed up because, you you know, you should be learning these things when you're 13, 14, 15, mm-hmm. like how to deal with girls mm-hmm. and all that. And if you're not learning it till you're in your 20s, then you've accumulated lots of frustration, yeah. lots of shame, fear. lots of anger, mm-hmm. lots of fear. And... And, and, and your like hunger is overwhelming and mm-hmm. it's really hard. It's like, you know, what's the, the metaphor? It's like trying to fix an airplane while it's flying. Mm. You know, it's hard to like work this stuff out when 
like you're already in the game. You're already like it already really matters. Yeah. It's not like getting ready before you go out. Yeah. You're already out and you're trying to get ready. You know, it's so I think a lot of young men and women are in really hard spot. Yeah. You know, cause... Oh, I yeah, I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's easy to live as your uh, authentic self um, for, for most people. For yeah. a lot of people who have had practice or I mean, for you and I, April, I don't think that we we identify as that now, but we haven't always been living that. Just like, you know, I was given forced hand jobs at 13, so where I wasn't speaking sure. my mind or my truth because I didn't even know what that was. I was just watching a movie on the Unabomber, and he was a 53-year-old virgin. And part mm -hmm. of the reason mm -hmm. he started blowing up people, obviously there was a whole another There's section of, of it, but he wanted, yeah. always wanted to find love, and he was rejected by women because he was so socially awkward. His IQ was 163. I mean, he was mm -hmm. a literal genius. And he could have probably done really remarkable things, but he could never get laid because he was socially inept yeah. in that mm -hmm. department. Well, I just wrote, there's a whole section in Civilized to Death about um, jihadis and the relation between sexual frustration and the jihadi movement and also mass shootings in the U.S. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. many of those guys were lashing out Rape I in India, India. When, oh, I, when India, I've traveled yeah. through India, when you've traveled through India, I mean, yeah. it's every single man acts like a 14-year-old pubescent boy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's ridiculous. And I'll literally be on the beach in pretty much full dress down to my ankles, but people walk up and want to take pictures just because my or shoulders are exposed. You or they follow you around. It's like 14-year-old boys yeah. because they are so, I mean, it's, it's pretty sexually oppressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and there's a great paper by James Prescott, which I, I reference in Sex of Dawn and also in Civilized to Death, where he looked at the relation between um, uh, sexual, uh, adolescent sexual expression and um, how long the mother was in bodily contact with infants. Mm -hmm. So on one side looking at that, and then on the other looking at violence in societies. Mm. And he studied all the societies that had data on those points and found that of the 27 societies that he studied, 26 of them had a strong correlation between repressed sexual expression in adolescence and restricted mother-infant contact mm -hmm. and high violence. Oh. It all Not comes back to the parents, you the, yeah. up to the upbringing. I mean, it, yeah. I'm that, not having that kids, I'm just going to get a dog. <laughs> you better touch it a lot. You better, you better <laughs> snuggle it. it. Yeah, snuggle it's beautiful. Touch it consensually. <laughs> Chris and I talked about this. We're like, is bestiality consensual? I don't know. We don't Wait a second. I know. Yeah. That's like the best story ever, though, when the cat oh, story. Oh, you've God. seen my video. Well, because she yeah. came and was like, you have to see this. I was yeah. dying. I showed her. probably yeah. about Pretty five people. Video. Like the video yeah. with the cartoon yeah. going along with what you're... Oh, my God. I was dying. Yeah. It was awesome. How, how do people watch it? Where do they find it? Oh, it's online. It's called Nine and a Half lives i guess is that right nine it's and a, a half yeah video, nine yeah. and a half lives yeah, it's an anime video of an actual experience yeah. that you had when you were younger yeah you were eight or something i think so with a pencil something like that yeah <laughs> we'll leave you at that everyone yeah. go google it <laughs> go google it it's amazing first pussy i ever had that <laughs> <laughs> was a furry one um wait can i can i just have you reiterate what you tell what you tell men you, you tell them to find what they're... Non-negotiables uh -huh. and then don't negotiate. And just stick to that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, especially on, on this monogamy issue, I think is a big question. You know, I think that should be one of the things that people should talk about right up there with do you want kids uh -huh. 
Values, yeah. Deal yeah. breakers. We've mm-hmm. talked about that on our podcast before yeah. with the yeah. divine well, masculine, yeah. our, our core values system. Core values, that's what it was. And, and that you that the core values stay pretty they're consistent. They're non-negotiable. They're non-negotiables. And, and that, if, if, you're, if they're different between partners, mm-hmm. then it's probably time to either move on. Yeah. Because those are non-negotiable. As, as yeah. And really important to convey early on if you're trying to build something with someone because you put yes. on all kinds of fancy bells and whistles right. for those non-negotiables. It's going to invite you in the ass at some point or it's going to hurt someone. After you've wasted a big part of your life yeah right and maybe mm-hmm. now there are kids involved well that's been you know? me with children I've never really wanted children and every person that I've dated until or married yeah. until now yeah. has like children have been a huge part of that yeah. always thinking they could change me in that in in respect to that yeah mm-hmm. yeah no I I uh, I think it's really important that and and the other thing for men and probably women don't this it doesn't apply to them as much but I think a lot of young men confuse um, a, a woman being attractive mm-hmm. with like that being a woman you want to have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Right. I think you got to get past that. Yeah. You got to like, you know, the fact that you like the way someone looks doesn't mean you're going to enjoy her company. My deal yeah. breaker is they have to have a sense of humor and be funny. Yeah. To make me laugh. That's right. like my number one before looks or how much income. Those are the top. Topical mm-hmm. things that yeah. I, I don't really care about as much, but I need, yeah. I need big and they brains. Have, they have to be intelligent. Yeah, on some level. I just want to teach. Not necessarily book smart, but just yes, yeah. teaches you something. And that that evolves too, because if right. you would have dated me when I was twenty, I wasn't like I I really desire someone that is really is brilliant. Mm. And now in my thirties, that's really really important to me. And again. If sticking back to the, the the negotiables, and then also, you know, who are we? What's important to us? And um, and then who, you know, who are we interested in that can match that? And putting that out there, as opposed to putting on a fancy show of something else. Um, because if you're really intelligent, and deep down you really like intelligence, but you're attracted to the hot woman who maybe doesn't, and there's plenty of intelligent hot women, who doesn't have that intelligence, and that you're desiring. I mean, you know, fool yourself for a little while, but it's, again, it's going to catch up with you. Yeah, and, and if all you're looking for is a sexual friendship, then be That's, honest about that. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't lie, yeah. and, you know, because, oh, she's looking for a boyfriend. Sure, I'll be your boyfriend, you know, even yeah. though you know it's going to last a couple months and yeah. you'll move on. So, I mean, because I think the problem is people feel diminished. They feel like they're... And they are. They're, they're trading a little piece of their honor to get laid. Mm-hmm. And that just weakens you. Yeah. You know, and that's the wrong direction. You want to be getting stronger with time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're much better off being friends with someone you're attracted to and you know it's not sexually, you're not offering what she is asking for. You're much better off walking away from that mm-hmm. because then. She'll tell her friends how cool you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it'll work out. Yeah. But so I guess, you know, a lot of it is guys are playing the short game, and I try to get them to see that they the need to play picture. the long game. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think your story of your, when you started, you're doing your, your research on the non monogamy and, um, and how it kind of filtered out the women that were on a similar path as you mm. um, is that when we are you know in our life's purpose or in our purpose with our non with our non-negotiables and, and whatever whatever that is when we're being truly in our truth and not authenticity living that and projecting that that it the people the right people come to us right. and we filter out the ones that mm-hmm. that won't I think that's that's wonderful just a lot of people 
have not been raised to to see that the world so clearly or to see it that it's yeah. safe to be them. Well, and people are afraid to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big issue. I spent yeah. a lot of my younger years alone, you know, traveling, sitting in a cafe and, you know, Thailand, you know, by myself, yeah. you know, and like uh, I think it's really useful to be comfortable by yourself because so many people are are grasping at relationships like you know grasping at straws when they're drowning it's like you know people are so desperately afraid to just be alone with themselves and i think it's getting worse now everyone's looking at their phones all the time like no one knows how to just fucking stand still and like look around is that a leaf blower yeah it's a leaf blower (laughs) My yeah. landlord walked up. We're recording in my kitchen. And my landlord walked up. I was like, no, don't knock and chat. He's like the classic Three's Company landlord where he just shows up and oh, wants really? to chat and has an hour chat. And <laughs> love him long time. Now but he's blowing some leaves. Now he's blowing some things. I, leaf blowing I never understood. It's actually illegal in most parts of California to leaf yeah. blow because there's, yeah. it's nonsensical. Think about it. It doesn't make it. any sense. It just blows the stuff in another direction. Anyway, that's a real I've tangent. never heard leaf blow used as a verb. That's good. <laughs> I told you not to leaf blow here. Why are you leaf blowing? <laughs> We're trying to record here. You're a leaf blowing. Blo- blowing son of a bitch. Yeah. In, in L.A., uh, I've done, you know, I've been interviewed on for documentaries and stuff. And their guys who will drive around. When they see the truck, the camera trucks, they'll start leaf blowing. Really? Because oh. they know you're recording in there. Just mess- yeah. And someone will come out and, like, give them 50 bucks to leave. Awesome. I'm, yeah. We need... I don't have 50 right now. We need the opposite now to stop the blowing, but I it's know. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, I don't know how long your thing goes. We're, we're 120 in. Oh, yeah. We can we can wrap it up soon since we get the leaf blower going on here as well. I have, wait, I want to. Jesus, it's getting louder. By ask, a ask a question. <laughs> um, I'm struggling with this kind of internal issue between a really good friend of mine who is dating, seeing um, this guy who she says that they're exclusive, but they're just sleeping together. And she's like, we're not sleeping with anyone else. But I know that he is sleeping with other folks. And I question why he wouldn't just say to her. Mm-hmm. And wh- why wouldn't you just say, I know that you don't want a relationship with this person. And it's, I struggle with this all the time. And I'm like, hey, maybe you should just explore other, other people too, because I know he is. But she's convinced that it's an exclusive sleeping situation and I just struggle with why wouldn't this person have integrity enough because he thinks he won't get laid but he is getting laid on all but different he thinks that she'll stop she, by that person if he's authentic it, he'll stop getting it laid. drives me crazy yeah I mean this is the con- the common thing do you that... end up questioning because I question his integrity on all levels when you see that now that you see that because he's lying about that so why wouldn't he lie about so many other things well people can be can struggle in certain departments of their life based on their conditioning and, and it doesn't have to reflect on who they are, their overall character um, or their integrity in general and the way they treat everything. Well, one in lie spins so many other lies though. Yeah, but there's aren't something about sexuality and if I'm fully honest with <laughs> what I desire as I blow these leaves, God, I think so much, um, that I might lose the love. It all comes down to I might lose the love, but in that case, the love is is probably just sex. And, right. um, and if I'm fully honest, then I I'm gonna lose it. She's not gonna want me. And I obviously all women want monogamy. That's a right. common belief too. Is that all women want to just they want that that knight in shining armor and that picket fence. They want to get married. They want to have babies. The and 
I mean, a lot of people believe that, and so they they want to put on the show so that they can still get have their cake and eat it. Well, he because he disappears on a regular, and she'll text him and not hear from him for a few days, and I know that he's shacked up in a hotel room with a chick, and it's hard for me to stay well, neutral. And there are because chances it, that if this person was honest, that she'd still sleep with him. Uh, that they can come to a deeper place of connection now that they have a more clear understanding. Their sex could be more connected right. once she feels safer. In because to me, the system knows when someone's not being honest. Even if, even if you believe them here in your head, the heart, the body, the gut, deep down, there, there can the certain the shift can happen. You can pick up on the energy of, you know, you know when you hear friends are like, oh my god, I found out that he'd been cheating on me for years and I had no idea. I'm like. Your your body knew. You knew. Yeah. yeah, right. Your mind didn't want to believe it, and and I don't blame it for you know conceptualizing whatever you whatever it wanted to do, but the body knows, and the body reacts, and then it shifts in its response in regards to how it can feel safe into the orgasms it can have, the connection we can have, emotionally, energetically, physically. So trust your intuition. Trust your intuition. Yeah, yeah really trust it, and. Um, yeah, and that was my tangent on that if people are authentic, they might find that they can actually get what they want and have more deeper or deeper connection with that. Yeah. And, and they might lose some too, but you're going to lose the ones that weren't right for you anyways because they didn't yeah. fit with what, how you're living. I get so many emails from guys saying, dude, you know, I, I love your advice makes sense, but, you know, I, if I told women that I would never get laid and, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. I get so many emails from young women saying, it makes sense, but I can't tell men that. They mm. can't handle it. Yeah, and, uh, they won't it's want It's like me. if yeah. you people just like, if everybody stopped lying, you'd find each other. See, yeah. that's what I'm thinking mm-hmm. yeah. about the situation. Get off your lies, fool. Yeah. Um, so tell us about your book that you're writing now. It's called Civilized to Death. Uh, I've been working on it for years off and on. Uh, it's sort of, it, it got backburnered because I really got into the podcast and, mm. and I really enjoy doing the podcast. And so... You know, I'd get up and say, oh, today's a writing day, except I should put out a podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's, there's a part in Sex at Dawn that isn't about sex, that's uh, sort of in the middle, uh, maybe 50 pages, about other aspects of the way people live. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I figured you can't just write about sexual relations without writing about how they raise children and how they um, deal with each other politically and the sort of economics of hunter-gatherers and all that. And um, a lot of people wrote to me and said, you know, love the sex stuff, but I really like that stuff in the middle. I'd like to know more about that, you know. And um, so this book is an expansion of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's looking at, I mean, it was sort of inspired in a way uh, by the Louis C.K. bit, mm-hmm. who, uh, where he, he was on an airplane and there's Wi-Fi. Have you ever seen that bit? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really funny. He's, so he's... There's Wi-Fi, and he's like, fuck, I didn't even know there was Wi-Fi in airplanes. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. And so I'm sitting there checking oh, my email and looking at YouTube videos, and then the, something happens. in it the crashes. Yeah, crashes, and the stewardess says, sorry, we have to reset the router. It'll be a few minutes. And the guy next to me leans over and says, this is bullshit. <laughs> and so he goes off on this thing about how, like, these new technological innovations only make us happy for a few minutes Mm -hmm. and then we get used to them yeah they raise the standards and then we get let down and then like every time it isn't well like this wi-fi is so slow like Mm -hmm. geez like my phone isn't working he's like it has to go to the to space and back you know (laughs) give it a second yeah um 
And he ends that bit by saying, these days everything's amazing, but nobody's happy. Mm. And so this book is, why is nobody happy if everything's amazing? Mm. What does this mean? Apparently we've been, you know, civilization, the myth of civilization is that it's all progress. That human life is getting better and better for 10,000 years now. Mm. How come suicide rates are up? How come 25% of uh, Americans are on antidepressants? How come 40% of American boys in school are taking ADHD medication? Mm -hmm. You know, like why uh, is life so fucking miserable if it's been getting better for centuries? Yeah. What, what does this mean? So it's an examination of what is civilization um, and what are, how did our ancestors really live because we have this what I call the Neo-Hobbesian narrative, which is that life before the, the advent of the state was solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Mm -hmm. Short, getting back to the point earlier about lifespan. That's the belief. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the belief mm -hmm. from Hobbes, right? And it's, it's wrong on every particular. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, when you look at people who have seen both ways of living, like native people who've been brought into civilization and then given the option to stay or go back, they always go back. Mm. And in fact, people who raised in civilization who've been kidnapped by the Indians and you know, so many cases of women in the frontier American history who you know, the Indians came and killed the men and dragged them off and all that, a year or two later they get rescued. Mm -hmm. They don't want to. They're like, the, no. you know, first nightfall, they sneak back into the woods and yeah. get go back to the Indian. Mm -hmm. it, the fact is that civilizational life sucks, mm -hmm. but we're all so propagandized to believe that it's better mm -hmm. that uh, it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around it. But they know in their bodies that they're not happy, mm -hmm. right? Our, our bodies aren't healthy. Our relationships aren't healthy. Our kids are miserable. The whole thing is a mess, and we can see that it's a mess, but somehow, you know, there's this cognitive dissonance because the propaganda, the advertising for civilization is so overwhelming. Mm. So that's what the book's about. It's sort of, first of all, it's questioning that propaganda and the, the narrative that we've been fed. And then the second part is sort of what can we apply from a, a more accurate understanding of prehistory to our modern lives to make life better. Mm. So and you're writing it now, it's, you don't have an ETM when it's... It'll probably be out this fall. Oh, fall 2018. Yeah. Ooh, yes. I'm excited. I'll pick yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yay. Books aside, I'm just kidding. Civilization. I can understand it though. Yeah. I feel that way a lot. When I get in nature for many days in a oh, row, I don't God. want to go back to... Yeah. Especially beach nature, when I'm on the beach in the Caribbean. Yeah, water is an important part. In Japan, they call it nature bathing. Yes. And there are um, special parks where people go to nature bathe. And there's mm -hmm. lots of research on it that shows uh, anxiety levels drop precipitously. Mm -hmm. um, people sleep better. They get more work done. They're happier in every level. And water, either shoreline or fountains and waterfalls, is an important part of it. But there's so much. I mean, you know, a lot of it, like, people are like, well, you know, what's natural? You know, we can adapt to everything. Like, oh, yeah. Okay, we can adapt to everything, but how many hours do you sleep per night? Mm -hmm. You can't just decide to sleep three hours per night or yeah. not to sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, you, I, I sort of equate it with, like, 
you know, those fucked up high heeled shoes that women wear sometimes. That April wears like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Except for right now. Not right no. now. Well, actually, right now, you've got shoes on that come to a point. Yes. Your foot is not shaped like that. Well, the, so, the point, though, my and, foot kind and of is. It might be by now, yeah. <laughs> April doesn't mind hurting for fashion. And the, and I do. Yeah. Yeah, she does. yeah. Well, see, so, so that's how I look at it. It's like we've got a society that's like a shoe designed by someone who isn't really thinking about feet mm-hmm. or the way we walk. Mm-hmm. And so we end up like with fucked up backs and knees and our toes yeah. are all twisted. Everything and, with your feet, you're like... I know. I'm, I'm probably going to be like Prince and get hip replacement surgery when I'm 40 because of all my dance moves and high heels. Yeah, like, yeah. Go bare foot. Dancing in high heels. Go barefoot. Yeah. 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 yeah your shoe is, is a metaphor for what's wrong with society. <laughs> well, every time you wear this shoe, it's going to be like, shoes. think of society right now. I know. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And we live in a zoo. We're, we're the only species that designs its own enclosures. Yeah. You know? Our own cages. And so my my thesis is, look, we're, and I'm not like, let's go back to the garden. Like that, that's mm. too late. That's not going to happen. But let's live in the San Diego Zoo. Mm. Right, the door that was the one where it's all open, yeah, right? You know, the open right. fields, like the safari animals can right. actually just roam. Right now, we're in the free-ish. fucking Calcutta Zoo. We're yeah. like in cages, throwing our shit at the wall. Like, let's, yeah. you know, we can design this better. <laughs> but to do that, you need to know what kind of animal you've got. There. Or that, or that, that you're that you are that animal in a cage right. too. I mean, a lot of people don't even think of it. They think that they're free when they're not. Right. And they because they've never questioned that. Nothing's ever inspired them to think beyond what they know. So I'm hoping what I'll have, my favorite reaction to Sex at Dawn are the people who said, thank you, you lifted all the shame off yeah. me. You You're know, the like, shame exorcist. I'm a shame yeah. exorcist, right. So I hope to do more of that with mm-hmm. this book, but in terms, not just in sex, but in terms of like, because I think there are a lot of people who are winning, they're making money, they got the wife and the two kids and the Audi and they, they got it. It's all like all the boxes are checked. And they're still heavily they're medicated. Fucking miserable. Yeah, they're yeah. taking Xanax to survive the right. day and, or the night and Adderall for the day. And, right. Mm-hmm. And so I hope those people will, you know, find this book and like, oh, I get it. That's why I'm unhappy. Or they yeah. go to some beautiful country and stay in a resort and don't even yeah, get out. They don't even get to see that the culture. That drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want anything touri- like touristic in my yeah. trips. I want to yeah. go into nature. That's what I'm desiring. Live like the people. Live with the people. Mm -hmm. Get a van. I spent six weeks this summer living in the van. What'd you call it? The van. Vanthropology 2017. (laughs) He's a vanthropologist. Vanthropologist. Yeah. Yeah. Cruising around town. We have to have you back on the show again. You're such a joy. I learn stuff. I love learning things. We can record it in the van driving down the road. Let's do it. I'll bring the leaf blower. No, <laughs> no. I, I've done re, I've done some recordings in the van. Uh, no, while driving. But yeah, yeah. Oh really? Well, because you're just talking. Aren't there people that podcast I mean, in a sauna? Who is that? Neil. Yeah, Neil. I, yeah, I, oh, yeah. I did oh, the podcast yeah. in the is. Truth Barrel. How does that work? Too? You're in a sauna With for an Neil hour, right? And Gabby Reese. Yeah. Uh, Laird oh, Hamilton. I love Gabby Reese. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, um, how about the equipment though? Isn't that dangerous for the equipment? Yeah, they've got most of it outside, okay. and they just run mic run wires okay, in. Cool. The yeah. wires can handle it. Yeah, I guess they replace the mics pretty often. Probably. They can afford it. Sweaty mic. Remind our listeners of, actually, we didn't even say your website, but where, how they can find your podcast, what name of your podcast, and your website. The podcast is called Tangentially Speaking. It's available. iTunes, Where Play. podcasts are found. Yeah, everywhere. And my website is chrisryanphd.com. Nice. That's it. That's easy. Cool. All right. 
Well, thank you so much for making this time to visit us in Santa Cruz. Yeah, thank you. Amy said sure. such great things about you. Kyle did too. So it's so, uh, such a pleasure to have you in my home. Oh, yeah. And the leaf, great to be the here. leaf blower and all. Leaf blowing yeah. and my landlord and all. So anytime you're in Santa Cruz, come and visit us. I will. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com.